We're diving right back into our uh, series that we've been walking through. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I, uh, I tossed out what we were going to do. And if you don't know, I'm Mike. It's great to see you. And uh, we, uh, we plan things uh, uh, way out in advance here. I just really believe that God and the Holy Spirit are present when we plan. I'm not a last minute guy. I actually have uh, 2018, all the messages uh, lined out right now. I'm writing uh, ahead into the future. We actually program our, our services on Sunday. Uh, to be mirrored and reflected upstairs with your kids on Sunday. So in order for us to do that, I have to be ahead of the children's program. And we have an incredible children's team that serves up there. And they push me. They're asking me for 2018 material right now so they can write the children's curriculum. curriculum. Because we just believe that there is nothing more incredible, come on, moms and dads, than you get in the car after church, and you say, hey, what did you, uh, what did you hear today? How was church today? And they say, oh, it was pretty cool. I heard it. I learned about Noah, and you just learned about Noah, and we can have, and ignite conversations and families and connect people. So, so we prep like that, but we also give permission for God to wreck our plans, and so this series was God uh, wrecking plans, and we were walking into, I was going to do something completely different, and I had just been experiencing with a lot of you in my own life, just kind of in our culture and our community, this sense of tension and how do we resolve when we're in arguments and intention and how do we have what we've been calling a civil war, air quotes around civil. How do we deal with tension? Now this was before we started knocking down statues and everything else was a civil war. It wasn't related to that, but it's pretty funny how God has a sense of irony and, uh, and all, of, all of those things. But we began just having a conversation but how do we deal with tension? And we started with talking about how it is in our responsibility when we're in tension to begin to hear and learn this gift of empathy. And we started talking about empathy and how empathy was taking the long walk to the other person's point of view and processing that they may be seeing things differently than you. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always right. And my inner voice is filled with confidence about how right I am. And oftentimes, I'm happy to let you know all the reasons why I'm right. And it is a difficult and intentional process for me to stop, walk to the other side, to your point of view, and at least understand why you got to the place that you got. And so we talked about empathy, and you can go back a couple weeks and, and take a look at that if you'd like to. And we gave you some tools, and some of the tools were things like no cheap shots when we're in a conversation. And you know what the cheap shots are. Come on now. You've been in tension with someone, and you've had the moment where you can say, oh, yeah, well, boom. You've been there. I've been there. I was there a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> no cheap shots. We talked about being careful whose advice you take. We talked about making the long walk around and then communicating the truth in love. And then two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of forgiveness. And we talked about how when we don't process forgiveness well for uh, uh, bitterness and unforgiveness, it's like a tree that takes root in us and it gets roots down in our hearts. And we talked about how Jesus interacting with the disciples said we were called as Jesus followers to be serial forgivers, to continually forgive. Even when we're faced with those that are repeat offenders, and we talked about the need to continually forgive. And some of you were feeling tense about that. And I said, don't worry, we're going to get to boundaries. And we're walking into boundaries today. 
And so this whole, uh, this whole passage has, has really, or this whole series has really come from this passage out of Romans um, chapter 12. And I'll show you this, this one line over here because I want you to catch this. Paul says this, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says, listen, if it is possible. Now, I love this language because it's honest and it's sincere and it's not, uh, it's not a, a kind of pie in the sky, something you can never do. Paul says, if it's possible, because what's implied in there is that sometimes it's not gonna be possible. He does not say, it is possible, so live at peace with everyone at all times. He doesn't give us an unreasonable expectation. Paul certainly did not live at peace with everyone. He certainly was not able to do that. So we must acknowledge that it is not always going to be possible to live at peace with everyone. Part of the human condition, part of our faith condition, part of our life experience, that's not gonna be possible. Here's the other problem with that though. Sometimes it is possible. And sometimes we begin with the uh, uh, blanket statement of it's never gonna be possible for us to be at peace. And we act as though it is never possible. And Paul says, if it is possible, and then I love this, as far as it depends on you. What does that mean? Well, that means you have a part in every relationship you're in. You play a role. The common denominator in all your relationships is you. Every single one of them. The ones that are going great and the ones that are going awful. You're the common denominator in all those relationships. And so he says, as far as it depends on you, in your role, which means you have to take an active role in attempting to live at peace with everyone. It's not a passive thing. Part of that depends on you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't always depend on you, but it also doesn't never depend on you. And come on, you've been around someone who's been like, this is never my fault. Every relationship that goes sour is every time somebody else's fault. So we're walking through this idea. And I was thinking about some of the relationships that I've had, even some of the most close and intimate relationships that have had tension, that have had to have repeat offenses that have had to be dealt with. You know, I share a lot about my life and my family and I hope they don't all listen to the podcast because I have some apologizing for my candor to do sometimes. <laughs> but I have a brother who I love and uh, he's younger than me. He's doing really good right now. But for a long time, basically about 15 years, he struggled with abuse, uh, uh, addiction issues and drug abuse issues. And uh, I love my brother dearly. He's doing so good right now. And if you're listening to this, bro, I love you. Congratulations. Keep swinging hard. Um, but for a long time, he struggled and was in patterns of abuse and addiction and drugs and alcohol and everything else that you can imagine. It was in our family. It was rooted into our family and it was rooted into his life. And there was a sense of powerlessness that comes with trying to love somebody who doesn't even have a desire to move out of the damaging, destructive behavior that they're in and isn't even on a path to, to feel that. that and, and come on now, we know, we, can we be real for a second? It's pretty hard to love someone who's on that kind of a destructive uh, pattern, but you love them and it, the wake of that just hits everybody. Now, I'm a very logical, rational guy. And so for me, it was easy to just say, why don't we just tough love him? But for my mom, it was not the same. That's her baby. 
He's not my baby. That's her baby. And there was tension there. And parents, we know this. It's hard when our kids are spiraling. So my brother, several years back now, he had an opportunity to be in a program of recovery. And he quit. He said, oh, that's not, that's not the path. That's not going to work for me. And he called me. And he said, I need a change of venue. Can I come and stay with you for a while? I said, no. Let me introduce you to the Civil War. When someone you love and someone you care for needs a boundary. And I said, I love you. And I will do everything I can to help you stay alive and help you fight this and to help you beat this. But coming and staying with me isn't going to solve your problem. And so I said, I'll make you a deal. I gave him a boundary. I said, you go back into the program, you complete the program, and then you can come and stay with me. And I'll do everything I can to help you. You can't afford the program, I'll even help there. He said, I don't want to do that. And I said, well, then I love you, but you can't come and stay with me. And the tension and the pain, you don't understand. If I don't get out of this immediate circumstance or environment, something's going to happen. I do understand. I want you out of that environment, that circumstance. But I'm not the place that can solve the problem for you. There's a process. Come on now. We're getting too real for church. And I said, come on. I want to help you. And this is how I'll help you. But here's the tension. We've all experienced this. We've experienced being around someone who's a repeat offender. Maybe it wasn't as deep as that. Maybe it's just someone at work who's chronically irresponsible. And you know they're irresponsible. They're chronically irresponsible. And you're watching and because of your responsibility, you now have been keeping track of their irresponsibility. And you have a just in the back of your mind, here it comes. They got about three, four more days until they drop the ball on this. And I know exactly what's going to happen. Come on now. They're going to come to me with their irresponsibility because they've seen my responsibility and asked me to bail them out. And it's not the first time because you've already seen the pattern. You've been in a relationship with someone like that. You know people in your friendship circle, in your life circle, who, whose irresponsible behavior has constantly intersected with you. And here's this tension. Those of you that consider yourself a Jesus follower, how do we reconcile this call that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be Jesus and compassionate, to be in, in mutual submissive relationships with people where we lend them our strength? How do we balance that when we know the person that we're working with isn't carrying their part of the responsibility? How do we do that? How do we live like Jesus, love like Jesus, when we can recognize that helping someone in this situation or covering for them in this situation or allowing their behavior to continue and to influence your world in this situation when we recognize that not only is that not helpful to them, it might actually be irresponsible of us. Yet we feel this pressure because we see what Jesus has done for us. And we know as his disciples, ambassadors, that we're in the ministry of reconciliation, that we want to see people come to life and we feel the tension of how to do that. So we're going to walk into that this morning. I'm going to start by just talking about the process. 
And, uh, and I'm going to kind of run through this part because I want to get over to the, uh, to the boundary piece of this. But I'm going to start by just talking about the process because Jesus said, uh, very clearly addressed, how do we handle when tensions arise in, in our intimate relationships with people that we're close to and people that we're near with? And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about kind of the system, the pattern of how we are supposed to handle that. And some of you have heard this before, but I just want you to catch this. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He says basically this, he goes, listen, if your brother sins against you, if he's crashed into your world, if he's caused grief into your world, if his behavior has now uh, created a collateral damage zone that has infiltrated your world, it says our responsibility is to go. Look at someone and say, you gotta go. Oh, you didn't wanna do it. Let's try it again. Look at somebody and say, you gotta go. Oh, I'm gonna wake you guys up before we're done here says, you got to go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan, no pagan, or a tax collector. You may not know this, I was a Pagan for the first nine years of my life, so I was Michael Pagan, so it's pretty funny. Pretty funny you got a preacher from the Pagan family, and we grew up on Diablo Court, so I'm just telling you, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> so Jesus says there's a process, and the process looks like this. The process is go to the person. That doesn't work, go with an authority. If that doesn't work, go with your accountability. Jesus is clear. We are to take the initiative and to go. Now, I want to talk about this for just a second because some of us really enjoy this part, right? We're like, oh, I'm going to tell them what they did wrong. I got no problem with that. But I think that's the minority. I think most of us aren't like conflict enjoyers. We don't just naturally go, oh, yes, I just been waiting for this conflict. I'm going to run into it. Most of us are a little bit conflict avoidant by nature, especially when it's someone we care about, especially when their world's a mess, and especially when their mess has gotten into our world and we just want to withdraw from that. I actually had a conversation with someone this week, not from around here, so don't worry about it. And she was dealing with a tension in the workplace. And she called me up and she's like, I just can't figure out one of the most irresponsible people that I work with has just been promoted to a position of authority, and I know that from my position of less authority, I'm gonna be responsible to cover their irresponsibility. And I'm so frustrated, I don't know what to do, and I really, this is funny, I really want to talk to them, but I know it won't go well. How many have been there? I wanna talk to them, but I just know it won't go well. And she called, you know what she called me asking for? She didn't realize it. She was calling, asking for permission to not do what the word of God's told her that she's responsible to do. She was looking for, come on, we talked about a week one, be careful whose advice you take, right? She was looking for someone to just endorse that it was pointless to do what the word of God would ask her to do. She was looking for an excuse to not go. She was building her case to not go. And let me just be honest with you. We don't have permission to not have the conversation. At any point, 
in the scriptures do we not have the permission to not have the conversation? Now, this is with a brother, someone that we know. Some of you have been in situations and, and there's no opportunity to have that conversation in that way. And that's another scenario. We're going to talk about that when we get into boundaries a little bit more here. But when it's someone we know, come on now, when the potential of the relationship is there, we don't have permission to not have the conversation. It may not go well. We don't have a guarantee that it'll go well, but we don't have permission to not have the conversation, even though no one likes it. What I love though, is Jesus is clear. He says, there's a pattern. You go, have the conversation. If it doesn't go well, take some accountability with you. If that doesn't go well, take whatever authority into equation exists in that scenario. Bring, he says, bring the church with you behind that. And if that still doesn't lead to healing in the relationship, then change the nature of the relationship. That's Jesus. Pastor Mike, I gotta keep loving and be, you know, submission, I gotta, no, no, no. Jesus says, you go through the process and at the end of the process, if that person does not walk into the process with you, then you have to change the nature of the relationship. Now to say to treat him like a pagan or a tax collector, that's pretty harsh language. They did not like the tax collectors and we've had that conversation before. They were the least favorite people in the community. And Jesus says, you treat them like someone who is chronically mistreating you. You recognize, because the tax collectors were abusers. They used their resource and their position of authority and the government to chronically abuse their authority and take advantage of people. And Jesus says, you treat them like they're chronic abusers. You change the nature of the relationship. You have permission, having gone through the process, to change the nature of the relationship. That's Jesus. Some of you are like, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Well, I just read it. It's in red in my Bible. So I'm pretty sure those are the words that he said. But it's hard sometimes. So we get to the place where he says, change the nature of the relationship. What does that mean? That means create a boundary. It means create a boundary. Changing the nature of the relationship means create a boundary. And this is hard. Sometimes creating that boundary feels unloving. Sometimes creating that boundary doesn't seem right. So I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about what it means to create a boundary. But before I do that, I just wanna recap. In the process, there's some things that are important and responsible for us. And we have to recognize this. If in the relationship, if you've done wrong, then we should repent. If you've done wrong, if you've evaluated the relationship, and if, it's, if there's a part of ownership that you have to take, repenting is simply turning from that behavior, thinking differently about the situation. You're saying, hey, I got amped up. I got fired up. I was mad. You caught me on a bad day. I don't want to be judged by my worst. I know we're in tension right now, but I own a piece of this. You repent. If you've done wrong, you repent. But if you've been wronged, remember, we're responsible to forgive. We're responsible to forgive. Now, this isn't required. There isn't a prereq that they're sorry. There isn't a prereq that they're sorry. But if we've been wronged, our responsibility is to forgive. Because remember, ultimately, we can have peace about the relationship even without peace in the relationship. We talked about that week one. Sometimes the goal in the search for peace, and if it's possible, as much as it's into your power, your concern, live at peace with everyone. It's possible to have peace about a relationship even without peace in the relationship. I can tell you, as hard as it was with my brother in some of the toughest seasons of his life, praise the Lord, he's not there right now. Keep swinging hard, buddy. I had peace in the relationship. 
I had peace about the relationship, even when he was frustrated, even when he was mad at me, even when I was frustrated, because I knew I had heard from God and I was obeying. And I knew that a boundary was the healthiest thing and the most helpful thing to help him be in a situation where change could come into his life. <clears throat> Problem is not every relationship is restorable. Not every relationship is restorable. You are not going to be able to restore and heal every relationship. Some of you just need to hear someone in authority with a microphone standing by a Bible tell you that not every relationship in your life is going to be able to be restored. It's not gonna be possible. Not everyone can do it. Not every relationship can do it. As a matter of fact, um, the poet and song writer from 1988 taught me this. I was about 10 years old. I was turning on the radio and Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock let me know that it takes two to make a thing go right. <laughs> it takes two to make it out of sight, right? <laughs> I learned at a very young age, it takes two to tango. I can only be responsible for me. I can't make this thing go right if they don't wanna make this thing go right, come on. I can't control that. I'm only responsible for me. I only control me. I gotta, let me just, I'm not a counselor, right? That's not my skill set. I don't do counseling, but I, I, I talk with people about the word of God in their life and how they intersect. And one of the things that seems to be a theme that people who are looking for counseling need to hear so often is this simple truth. You can't control other people. You don't have that power. God didn't set up the world to allow us to control other people. He didn't want to control other people that way. He gave us freedom. He wants us to experience freedom. And sometimes in people's freedom, they abuse and manipulate and move outside of what's best for them or for you or for the relationship. And you cannot control them. You are responsible for you. Some of you are like, I can't even control me. And it's true, you can't control you and you're frustrated about somebody else's lack of control and you wanna control them and you're out of control. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother message. We can go there. <laughs> Told you I'm ready to preach today. But it takes two to make a thing go right. Some of you are in your junior high dances flashing back right now. Some of you high school, some of you college, some of you were bumping that as adults and you should have known better. Um, <laughs> we were young, we didn't know, okay? <laughs> But sometimes we have to recognize that we can't control someone else's behavior and that their behavior has become dangerous and is actually unwise. And now for us to stay in the tornado of shrapnel and collateral damage would be unwise for us. I'm gonna give you a phrase, and when I give you this phrase, it's gonna feel offensive a little bit, but it's from the word of God. And the word of God describes people who make decisions that violate the heart of God and move them outside of the covering and protection of God. And they behave in a way with chronic behaviors and patterns that are destructive to themselves and to other people. And the word of God calls those people fools. And I gotta tell you, if you think that's offensive to think of someone like a fool, the scriptures use that phrase 82 times in the Bible. 82 times, a fool does this, you're a fool if this, 
a fool has decided in his heart this. God understands that in the human condition, some people, come on now, are fools. And another 1980s poet said, I pity the fool. Come on, somebody. The Bible talks about this all the time. And so God says, you're going to encounter people who are fools. They've decided in their heart to run away from the thing that God's placed in their heart, which would bring them to life. They've made that decision and they're fools. And here's the problem with fools. Oftentimes fools don't just damage and harm their own life. Come on now. It's like a sinking pit and others get caught in the trap and in the danger. Foolish people continually behave in ways that hurt themselves and hurt others. They live in that pattern and in that cycle. You're wondering if you're interacting with a fool or not? Here's your litmus test. Are they continually behaving in a way that hurts themselves and or hurts others? You are dealing at that point, the scriptures tell us, with a fool. Like, pastor, you're so mean. Just reading you the words. Just giving you the language. The wisest person who ever lived, according to the word of God, separate from Jesus, was a man named Solomon. And Solomon talked a lot about fools. If you read Proverbs, a lot of those 82 verses are in there. My favorite one looks a little something like this. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Solomon says, the absurdity of going back to the thing that's been destructive of your life and reconsuming that and doing it again and again and again is an identifiable marker measure you may be dealing with a fool. Some of you are like, that's gross. And I'm like, that's the Bible. It gets way grosser than that. Read it. <laughs> A lot of the civil wars that you face, a lot of the tension and a lot of the battles that you're in, a lot of pain could be avoided. If we just had an honest, honest moment and said, am I dealing with someone who's just stuck and looped in bad choices and knows what to do and doesn't want to get out of that? Am I, have I gone and talked to them and I've brought my authorities with me that, that could speak in my life. I brought accountability with me. And at the end of that, we're still in the same pattern of behavior. Are they telling me, come on now, what they think I want to hear to try to create peace, but their behavior looks like a dog returning over and over and over again to its own vomit? I may, just may, be interacting with a fool here. It's gross, but it's true. Here's the thing, when someone's irresponsibility is creating damage in their life and your life, it's time to create a boundary. Jesus says, you have to change the nature of the relationship. You have to change the nature of how you interact with them. You have to begin to guard your heart and your life from that interaction. Is there foolishness hurting your life? <laughs> you know, sometimes we have to settle. I told you about peace about the relationship other than peace in the relationship. Now, 
I'm gonna be honest with you. I've been, uh, because, because kind of God shifted me and took us in this direction, I've been refreshing a little bit on about, about boundaries and, uh, and, and a lot of what I'm gonna teach from today. Um, listen, this, if you, you buying and reading this book might be the thing that changes your life today over everything else you, you hear. But this is a book called Boundaries. It's by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Um, it's white and red with a pencil right through there. It's called Boundaries. Um, some of you have been looking for some help in the, ter- in the uh, just area of boundaries, and this is probably one of the greatest tools that I could put into your hand. I don't do a lot of book recommendations. I'm gonna do another one in two series from now uh, about soul keeping, and it's, uh, I'm gonna recommend that you all read that. And then in January, I'm gonna recommend another one. So I guess I'm shifting a little bit because I've been reading some stuff, and you should read it because it will help your life. But this is uh, a book called Boundaries. Listen, if you uh, do graduate work and counseling, you do any of that kind of stuff, uh, especially in a, in a Christian uh, educational environment, they're gonna make you read this. It's just part of the, the thing. It's that good and it's, it's simple but deep. And I read with a highlighter like a madman because there's just so much good stuff in there. And I'll be here for hours if I just try to unpack all of it. But I take... Um, I took a lot of good stuff from here, and so I want you to know that that's a, it's an important resource and a tool for you. But we're going to talk about boundaries for a little while here, because sometimes a boundary is the only way we can have peace about the relationship. It's the only way we can have peace about the relationship. You've been trying to, as much as it's possible, live at peace with everyone, and them constantly encountering your world, them constantly bringing their tornado, like the Tasmanian uh, devil from, from Looney Tunes, just spinning into your life and leaving a, a wreck everywhere. The only way to avoid that and have peace, come on now, in that relationship is to create a boundary. And boundaries are difficult. It's hard to understand what, Pastor, what do you mean when you're talking about boundaries? What are you trying to say? You know, we understand physical boundaries. Let me give you an example of a physical boundary. This will make sense to you. You have probably at some point in your life, if you don't right now, had a fence in your backyard between your house and your neighbor's house. And so when you go into the backyard to mow your lawn or to take care of it, you stop taking care of the ground and the earth where the physical boundary is. You don't feel responsible for what happens on the other side of that fence. You may not like what's happening on the other side of the fence. Come on now. So, I don't think they're in here. I got new neighbors a little while ago. Come on now. And they just got big dogs, like big dogs. And they're not bad dogs, they're just big dogs. And from the upstairs window, we can see over the fence into the yard. And these dogs, because they're just big, have just changed the environment, right? I change the environment, there used to be living things and there's no more living things, right? And I, I see that and I just go, oh, they used to have a very beautiful, like green and lush backyard and now they have big dogs. And so that was the trade-off. I'm not making a judgment on big dogs and yards that they live in. I'm just saying, I don't feel responsible when I'm watering, when I'm mowing, when, when my wife's taking care of all of those things because she's the one that loves all that world, <laughs> which is awesome, right? She, she doesn't have to go over there, come on now, and plant some flowers. That's not her responsibility. Why? Because there's a boundary, And I'm not responsible for what happens. So physical boundaries make sense to us. We understand that. But when we start talking about relational boundaries, it's harder for us to kind of get our mind around why we do that or how we do that. But creating a personal boundary essentially does the same thing. It basically just says, I am clarifying that this is where I end and you begin. 
And you need to be aware that this is where I begin and you end. That's what creating a boundary does. And a fool doesn't realize when they have taken their life past that boundary and now where you begin, they've brought their mess into there. And so a boundary is how you establish that. You say, listen, I love you, I care for you, and all the stuff that's happening that's a mess right here, I care about you, but it doesn't get to spill, come on now, over into my yard. So we had an issue with our fence. Those big, strong dogs were just pushing their head right through the fence. So my kids would come running into the house, terrified, the dogs are breaking through, right? <laughs> I'm not making that up. They're just freaking out, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh. What am I going to do, right? I'm going to have to go out there and tell And these are big. They're like 100 and something pound monsters. They're awesome, but they're huge. And I was like, there's two of them. That's like a pretty fair fight. I might need a weapon if they come breaking in here towards my, towards my kids, right? So we had to make some calls and say, listen, we got to get this fence repaired and strengthened because the boundary has to be clear because your mess is pushing through the boundary line and affecting my world. That's what a boundary does for you. That's why a boundary is important. It creates safety. It creates clarity. It creates a, a, a space of your personal self and allows you to do that. It also tells us what is not us, what is not me. And here's the thing and why a boundary is so important because the scripture tells us that we are only required to carry our own load. What are you saying, Pastor Mike? Well, I'm gonna break this down for you. I'm gonna make this make sense. If you have your Bibles, you should go to Galatians chapter six and walk through this with me because it's really good. And you've probably not read this this way and I want this to help you handle. Because I know there's some of you in here, I'm talking about boundaries and this is really hard for you. It seems very unnatural based on just your life experience and your faith and the way you love Jesus to try to have a, a, a literal boundary of what is and isn't your responsibility. I wanna walk through this with you. I'm gonna take my time a little bit and then we'll, we'll get out of here, don't worry. Galatians chapter six, beginning in verse two, Paul's teaching. Now this is the same guy who said, as much as it is possible, live at peace with everybody, right? As possible with you, live at peace. The same guy who said that is now teaching here. He's writing to a different church in Galatians and he says something that's incredible that we should all pay attention to. He says, listen, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor, or love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, when you come together and carry one another's burdens, you are physically representing the emotional and spiritual components of loving your neighbor and loving God with all your worth, with, with all your heart. That's what you're designed to do. You're designed to carry one another's burdens. And listen, that's a good thing. It's good that it's in you, that it's in your heart, that it's in your core. When you see someone who's in trouble, when you see someone who's overloaded by their burden, when you see someone carrying a weight that's too big for them to carry on their own, when they hit a situation, a scenario that their life is under, has been nailed and overwhelmed, when, when a medical issue has arise, when a job thing has gone out of control, when something's happened to them, when something's gone, and you see the burden of their life, God says, that, that's what my heart is. Go and help and carry one another's burdens. Think about the Good Samaritan. 
He sees him on the side of the road and his life is a mess and he's been abused and there's all this stuff. And he says compassion and he's moved with compassion and he takes his strength, his resources, and he brings them to somebody else with no other agenda other than the value of that person's life before God. Jesus, Paul says, that's the law of Christ. And we should all feel that tension. We should all want to do that. When we deny doing that, we're not showing the love that Jesus showed for us. Think about it. That's what Jesus did for us. He looked down from heaven, come on, and he saw us in a situation where the weight of sin and the weight of all of the stuff, it was more than we could ever do on our own. And he said, here's my strength, here's my power, here's my authority, let me carry that burden for you. And he took all our burden so we could be free. That's incredible. And we're created in his image, designed to do that for one another. God said, that's how this thing should work. That's what sacrificial love does. And Paul's going to tell us that when we're helping someone, there's a specific posture that we should have. <laughs> I love this. This is so good. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Wait, what? Paul says, listen, there's a certain posture when you come in and you're helping carry someone's load. And we've all been here before. We see someone's mess and we go, oh, I'd never get in that mess. I'd never put myself in that situation. I'd never be in a scenario where I didn't have the financial backing to get out of that or the friendship. Like you're moving and you don't even have friends to help you move. Like how'd you get that? Uh, whatever it is, right? We start getting on our horse. Come on now. We start getting on our horse going, I see your scenario and I'll help, but come on. Really, Nate? Really? You got here? You got stuck here, are you kidding me? And Paul's saying there's a heart condition that's dangerous about thinking you're something when you're not. About putting yourself like you're somehow immune to being on the other side of this equation and that's self-deception and deceptive. He says, don't do that. Verse four, he introduces personal responsibility. He says, each one should test his own actions then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. He's saying, don't get into your head that you're better off than someone else. You're responsible to evaluate your own life. And here's the thing. He says, you can take pride. This isn't negative pride like I'm so awesome. This is pride of accomplishment. This is, I had a task. I did the task. I was able to accomplish it. He says, you should be self-testing. This is the, uh, his way of saying, don't be looking at the speck in someone else's eye when you got a plank in your own eye. He's saying, you got to evaluate your own scenario, your own life, how you're managing your own thing. And then you can have an honest evaluation and say, hey, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And it's not because you're not doing, it's kind of like this. We do this all the time. I'm really a mess right now, but thank God I'm not as mess as them right? <laughs> and we go, we go, yeah, my stuff's pretty bad, but we're not there. And we kind of have this inward laugh and this inward uh, uh, giggle. And, and it's just, no, that's not how you're supposed to do it. He's saying, don't be that guy. Verse five. This is going to blow you away for a second. He says, for each one should carry his own load. Wait. Didn't you just say carry one another's burdens and so you fulfill the law of Christ? How can you in three verses completely flip 
the script. You said I'm supposed to carry each other's burdens, and now you're saying each one should carry their own load. You're saying I should evaluate my own life, I should take responsibility for me, and I should carry my own load. I'm confused about this, and here's essentially what he's saying. He's saying we're responsible to other people, but we're responsible for ourselves. We're responsible to other people, but we're responsible for ourselves. Responsible for ourselves. Now, this is interesting. You know, a few weeks ago when we did the outdoor service, I talked about our, uh, our last 5%, and I talked about uh, Pastor Wayne and, and his, uh, his analogy that there's certain things that we can never hand off. We can never hand off or farm out taking care of our physical health, right? If I could pay a 22-year-old to do crunches, I would have abs like you would not believe. It doesn't work that way. I would do it. I would find a way, right? We can't farm out loving our family. I can't find someone. <laughs> there are some of the most amazing, just hilarious business ideas out there. I saw something the other day, and it was like a professional cuddler to just, just, it wasn't like a, it wasn't, come on, get your minds out of the gutter. It was just, it was just people were so desperate for touch that they would pay instead of a massage to just like be the small spoon for an hour and just have someone touch and be close and it, right? It's like, we, we can't farm that out. It doesn't work that way. And, and there's some things that we're responsible for. We can't say, listen, I'm, you know, I'm busy right now. I'm gonna send my kids to a professional cuddler so they don't feel like they've been like left out, right? That's not, we're not supposed to do that. So what is Paul saying? He's saying all of us have things that we are responsible for. We're responsible to one another, but we're responsible for ourselves. He says there's burdens and there's loads. Let me make this make sense for you. And I'm gonna land the plane here in just a second. It helps if we know what those words kind of break down to mean. And burden in the Greek is the word baros, right? And it's, it, it, it applies an abundancy of weight, like a barrier, it's too much, it's too big. And he says, each of us, when we see someone under a baros, under a baros, when the world has dumped so much weight onto somebody else's life and we see it and we have the ability to lend our strength, we're responsible to one another. That's the law of Christ. We do that for our brothers. But we're only responsible for our own load. The word load is fortune, but it's actually where we get the word portion. And Paul's saying, listen, each of you have your own portion that you're responsible for. And here's where things get confused. When someone tries to take their portion, what they're responsible for, and make it part of a load that they shouldn't make it part of. And they try to take their portion and make it part of your portion. It's kind of like this. This is the illustration I, I, I want you to see, and I'm going to try to make this make sense, right? There are some things that we just can't carry on our own. It's impossible. If I, if I try to move this table, this table's way heavier. Someone made this table nice. It's way heavier than it looks. And I can drag it, but all this stuff's gonna fall off. I can't negotiate this on my own. And sometimes the world, come on, the weight of the world, the borrows that we're dealing with is just more than I can actually handle on my own. And if you see that and you see me struggling and God puts you on the path and you're walking by and on the side of the road, come on now, is that, is that one who needs help and you have the ability to lend your strength, we're responsible, the law of Christ. But each of us also has a portion that we're designed to carry. That's our responsibility that I need to take care of. 
I'm supposed to pay my cable bill or my power bill, right? Now, sometimes a weight hits and I need some help, but I'm supposed to be taking care of those responsibilities. I'm supposed to make sure that I eat. I'm supposed to make sure that my wife knows that she's loved, that my kids know that they're loved. I'm supposed to make sure, come on now, that I'm taking care of myself. I'm supposed, I'm responsible for those things. Paul says, you're not responsible to take that weight off of someone else. And come on, I talk to parents for a second here because we know we have a hard time with this sometimes. We got to let our kids learn to carry their responsibilities because it's empowering to do that. He says earlier, there's a pride that comes from that. There's a strength that comes from that. We're designed to have that. We are supposed to carry our responsibilities. And when you're chronically dumping your responsibilities and, and leaving a mess and being a fool, then it's like you walk up to someone and say, hey, listen, I need you to carry my load. And come on now, some of you are like, well, that feels like Jesus. I'll carry your load. Yeah, I'll go run all those errands for you while you play. I'll take care of squishing my feelings and my wants and my desires so you can have all the fun things you want and not have to do any of the stuff. Come on now. And then people figure out, oh, you're good at holding things. You're good at holding things. Let me hand you mine too. I'll be at the beach. And you're like, oh, I haven't been to the beach in so long. The beach, I love the beach, but it's hard to get there with all this extra. You're like, I'm gonna try and make it. And you go and you're on your way. And they're like, oh, come on. You're awesome at taking loads. Why don't you take them? Come on now. When I do this, it looks obvious, right? Paul says, you have to be responsible. Now, 1996, Everest, one of the greatest catastrophes on the mountain. I've been watching this for whatever reason. I, got, I fell down a YouTube hole and I ended up over there. <laughs> Can we be real, church? Come on. And I've been watching all of these uh, documentaries about these, this incredibly tragic thing that happens. 1996, it's Everest. And, and these two groups, it, it's right when they started doing tours of like just like normal folks that maybe weren't pros, but they want to get to the top of the mountain and they got 60 grand. So somebody's going to give them a trip to the top of the mountain. And these two tour groups are competing over who's going to get to the top, who's going to have kind of the market on the most popular tours up to the, one of the most dangerous places in the world. And these two groups are competing, and so they go at the same time, on the same day, and they're competing to get up there. But what happened was there's too many people, and it slowed down the progress on the way up. Now, there's a, there's a, a thing, and I'm going to get the wording right. Some of you mountain climbers will probably know this. But there's basically a time where no matter how far you are, you have to turn around, or you won't make it back, right? There's a point. So if you haven't made it to the top by this point, even if the weather's clear, if you keep going the wrong direction, you won't have enough time to get back before you're not going to make it. Well, what happened is you had these folks that could afford to go on the mountain, but maybe didn't have the skill to go on the mountain. And you had these tour guides that wanted to make sure, come on, their Yelp reviews, and that's in 96, it wasn't Yelp reviews, but that their reviews were good. So they took the load of other people so that they could make it up the mountain. Because here's the thing, you're tied to each other we carry each other's burdens. But I'm not supposed to carry your pack. Because if I carry your pack, it weakens me. And if you're counting on my strength because I'm helping you with your load, but I'm also carrying your pack, so what happened? Their point of no return was between 12 and 1 o'clock. 
but the groups didn't make it to the top of the mountain because there were so many of them until four o'clock. On the way back down, a storm hit and it scattered them and separated them. Some of their strongest climbers, the ones who would come to the rescue were exhausted because three additional hours of carrying an additional pack had so weakened them that they were no longer good to anyone else. And the two tour guides, the most experienced guys, both of them perished on the mountain along with six other people. Eight people died. Why? Because they were carrying somebody else's load. Because a fool doesn't care if their collateral damage, come on, takes everybody else out. What are you saying, Pastor Mike? I'm saying that in practice and along with the word that you having the ability to make a boundary and not take somebody else's weight and not take their load is incredibly important, not just for your survival, but for theirs. They could have turned around at noon and all eight of them would have survived. But a fool isn't worried about the boundary. Come on, you're in good shape. Just carry my pack and we'll make it. I need a selfie from the top. And they perished. I don't know what your situation is. And I don't know what boundary has been difficult for you to make. But some of you, not all of you, some of you just need to hear the best chance you have for survival is to not take their load. Don't do it. Their best chance for survival is you don't take their load. I shared it with you about my brother. My brother's been sober for a year now. He's got a real job. He doesn't live with mom. I'm so proud of him. I literally, when I saw him, he has weight on him again. I'm like, my brother's chubby. It's hard to get chubby when all your resources go into feeding other things. Come on. I'm so proud of him. I'm like, we look related. You look Puerto Rican. I'm so excited. We all have the same shape. I was so excited. Why? Because I didn't take his load. I said, I can't carry that for you. We'll both die. If I bring you into this, into my world, if I violate this boundary, if I don't say this is where you end and where I begin, if I don't do that for you, because everybody else is just letting the collateral damage go everywhere and no healing is coming. Come on now. But carrying his own load ignited the change in his life and he got healed. Come on. I know it's hard. It's hard when those scenarios are going on, but that is the truth. And that's the truth from scripture. That's the truth from scripture. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna close. I, I could keep teaching, but you should just read the book. The Bible and boundaries. <laughs> they both do you some good. But I think... Listen, I, I told you that was kind of divine appointment. God recalibrated me to do this series because I just think for some of you in the room, the, the most important thing was the first week of you just hearing there's a part that you own and making the long walk to seeing their perspective can bring healing and peace in relationships you've never had the opportunity. And come on now, some of you have been awfully silent on, silent on Facebook since then and I'm proud of you. <laughs> because you're at least entertaining the idea that that opposing opinion comes from somewhere. And you've given them a human characteristic instead of a, come on now, a, 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 a black and white issue thing. We love the people, come on. And some of us last, well, two weeks ago, just a reminder that forgiveness is about letting us be free. 
letting us be free. Remember last, last week I had, the, I had the rope and Andrew was up here and I made him prop. And we talked about someone's gonna end up carrying the bag if there's, no, if there's unforgiveness. And forgiveness, make sure you don't end up carrying the bag. And then today we talked about creating a boundary so that you don't have to carry someone else's load. And I don't know where you're at on that. And I don't know if this is just tools and practical for you, but here's what I just wanna let you know. You were designed to experience God's best and freedom. You were designed to, to be the kind of people who come along and carry one another's burdens, but you were not designed to carry somebody else's load. You weren't designed for that. And if you've been stuck in a pattern of that, then you might be on the fool side of the equation and God wants to bring freedom and, and redemption for you from that and healing to the way you're thinking about it. So I'm gonna pray for you and we're gonna be good and we're gonna go. Jesus, we love you. God, thanks for your word being so practical, pragmatic and healing and, 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 and helpful. Sometimes we get into your word and we feel like we're lost in the deep, deep water and then you just bring it to life for us and show us how we can live this. And God, thanks for caring enough about us to know that in relationship with one another, we're gonna experience some wars. And you designed us to do it in a way that's civil. I pray for those that have had the, the, the difficult time seeing anybody else's perspective. Would you just bring healing to that? Would you challenge us with your word that there is some stuff that's our responsibility? It doesn't mean we have to agree with their perspective, but we have to recognize we're dealing with another child of God that you love. And even if they're lost, you still love them. You designed them. You called them by name. You formed them and breathed life into them. Let's remember that when we're in tension. And God, you, you designed us to, to experience the freedom that comes from not holding the weight of offense. And we talked, uh, God, uh, uh, how every, everyone can expect offense. Offense will come. We will get offended. So how we react in that is just a reflection of how much we trust and love you. So help us when we're offended. So not let that take root in our heart and in our life. And for those of us who've been avoiding the walk to go have the talk, I pray we'd go. We'd have the talk. We'd do the hard part. Because we want to believe that you can redeem and reconcile. And if you don't, because of their choices, I pray we'd have good boundaries. We change the dynamics. And we understand this, God, not every boundaries aren't supposed to be walls that are ever, never scalable again. Boundaries are supposed to just create separation. And sometimes someone on the other side of a boundary can come to a place of healing and wholeness and we can change and shift that boundary and that's healthy and that's good. That's the purpose. I don't have the same boundaries I had even with my brother today. Why? Because healing and restoration and wholeness has come and we want that for every relationship. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.